0: this is the mark for greatness podcast the official podcast of the american paint horse association co-hosted by dr billy smith and stephen hayes bringing you the latest and greatest of the paint horse world sit back and enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Mark for Greatness podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Stephen Hayes, and along with me again is the great Dr. Billy Smith. Today, we have a special guest, Lori Roden. Lori is a APHA world champion, APHA foundation board member, uh, head or a group president for the HDR field services, uh, specializing in construction and engineering, 10,000 employees, 225 locations. Um, pretty amazing. Uh, Going to come to the world show coming up. She's a busy lady, but we're glad to have her. Doc, why don't you say a few words about Lori here?
1: Well, okay. So first of all, Laurie is not just on the foundation board; she's the chair. She's the president of the board. So and has been really instrumental in uh, helping guide us. Uh, actually, for some time. The other thing about Laurie that's a unique thing in the paint horse world is Laurie has barrel racers. She has hunters. She has halter horses. What else do you have? Does that pretty much cover it?
2: Yeah, I have halter horses. I now, as of this year, have uh, in-hand trail and lunge line yearling, and uh, show my ranch horse quite often, and do some hunter hunter saddle.
1: So, among our membership, it's that is a pretty rare. Uh, usually, it's we're uh, more like hyper specialized. And you're one of those rare people who can do it all, which is really unique in our business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It is. Uh, Laura Benji brought that up. Why don't you tell us just a little bit about who you are, uh, where you live, where you're from, that kind of thing. And then, uh, you know, maybe how you got involved with the paint industry, um, in showing your horses.
2: Sure. Sure. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I live in Phoenix, Arizona. I've lived here since about 1985 when I graduated college and, um, I have worked for HDR, which is a full service consulting firm that does engineering, architecture, planning and design and construction, obviously. And um, I started with a little paint pinto pony named Dynamite when I was probably seven years old. Um, The name is very appropriate. He he was a piece of dynamite, as a lot of ponies are. Uh, you know, I love the different colors, the suspense of not knowing what the pattern would be, um, which kind of got me some of the breeding side of what I do also. Uh, I think I had a Palomino Tobiano named War Kitty that, that I first started with in the early 2000s that I was actually breeding and riding, and she kind of got me hooked, and from there I took Courses at the University of Colorado on breeding and collecting, and um, from there started doing all my own breeding of artificial inseminating, foaling, and uh, raising them and showing them. As of this point,
0: right? How how did you get so diverse in the disciplines?
2: You know, I think some people would say that maybe I just can't do anything well, but um, I actually enjoy doing them all, and I really do believe. That in order to show different disciplines and to show your horse, you need to be a horse person. And if you are a horse person and you know how to ride and how to control a horse's body, um, you can do just about anything with that. It just depends on how fast you wanna go, I guess.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So when you're time management, then, uh, just curious. How do you decide, you know, Hey, I'm going to work on my ranch riding today, or I'm going to go out and I'm going to work barrel racing today. You know, how do you decide what's, what? your timing is like?
2: Right. And and that's the hard part, right? Because the barrel racing horses, um, and, and I've got three take long, long hours of patterning them once they're broke, once they're broken, have all the buttons, you have to pattern them. Um, once they're patterned, they're ready to run and then you just need to keep them in shape. So, so those take a lot of effort, a lot of time. So I typically, once they get broke to the point where, where they're running well, I just keep them in shape and don't work on patterning too much. So um, I, I would say that it's a juggling act. Um, but if I wasn't doing this, what else would I be doing? Sitting on a couch or you know, something like that. But but I will also say that that as I'm getting older, I'm not barrel racing much anymore. And I'm starting to breed some of those mares and doing some of that. So it's um, time management, especially with paint world coming up when I have three halter horses an in hand trail and a lunge liner coming. It's going to be a little tricky some days, but we'll get through it.
1: Laurie, do you wake up in the morning and say, today, I want to go fast. And then tomorrow, you know, another day you wake up and you say, well, I want to go slow today.
2: Well, you know, that's a good point. So I always used to want to go fast all the time. And I still probably would prefer that if given a choice. But um, once you hit 60, your body gets a little older and it tells you you're not interested in going fast anymore. But um, (laughs) for the most part, um, I now really, really enjoy this whole ranch horse side of things. I bought a Bay Toby mare that's Color Me Smart and, and Chickalina bred, and she is as spicy as they come and could probably run barrels really well. Um, but I got her to the point where we're showing in all the ranch riding and ranch pleasure and that kind of stuff. And that has a few fast things in it, like a few spins and the raining and things like that that you can do, but still be very controlled and um, and trained, I guess.
0: So would you say that barrel racing it, or the barrel racing is your favorite of all, which, which one would you have to, if you said, God said you can only have one, which one are you picking?
2: Today, if God said I can only have one, I would pick Hunter Runner saddle. Okay. There's cool. just cool. something about that soft, quiet, um, beautiful to watch 17 hand English horse.
1: Well so Laurie, one of the things that's I guess I don't say this enough, but one of the things that's interesting to me about my job is you see people in the horse environment, but you know they have these other lives. And and I'm gonna tell a story. I think I've told you this story before. But I was taught, I bumped into a guy who works for HDR. So I bumped into him and I told him that I know Lori Roden and his eyes got kind of big and he said, really? And um, I said, yeah. And I told him a little bit about your horse background and his. he said, you, 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 you talk to Lori? Like you talk to her, you can call her up? Yeah, he said, Wow. <laughs> so that's when I learned that Lori Roden was a big deal. So can you talk a little bit about the kind of business that you're in? How many countries, how many people, that kind of thing, just so the rest of the world knows how big a deal Lori Roden is?
2: Well, I, I don't think that I'm that big of a deal. First of all, um, I honestly just um, work hard, do what I say, and, and kind of go from there. But um, you know, it's, it's not easy being in the world I'm in, which is the construction world. Um, even though we are, for the most part, um, an engineering and architecture firm, we don't own Yellow Iron and we don't build anything. Um, and as you well know, after going through the move, you have to have pretty thick skin to work with contractors. Um, you know, and I'll bring the female thing into it a little bit. Add to that being female. Um, it's it's not easy, right? Or it, what didn't used to be easy anyway. Uh, at HDR, I started in 1999 and, and worked in their construction group and, and grew that group. And that was my task. Uh, today, we have as an entire company, over 10,000 employees, about 1,500 of them do construction work. We do work all over North America, um, including a pretty strong group up in Canada now. Um, we have done work in Dubai and Afghanistan and Kuwait, and um, now Germany, um, Israel, and um, London. The UK is the most recent one. So, you know, I I think probably overall, the biggest thing is, um, when you go into things like that, whether it be something new, or whether it be something um, that you've done all along is to be prepared to know what you're talking about. Um, As far as myself, never having a chip on your shoulder, always being available to someone who needs time, um, whether that's to talk to you or give you information or ask for advice, Um, you know, I knew when I got in this industry, it was a little bit different for a female, um, but I chose to do it anyway. So I, I think I look at it like I am there to help others understand how to be diverse. Um, and, you know, and that's whether it's um, talking ethnic background, what church you belong to, it doesn't matter if you're female or male. Um, what matters is that you work hard you know what you're doing, and that you always, always make yourself available for people who need to reach out.
1: Yeah, if, if you hadn't have brought and brought in uh, the issue of women in construction, I was going to do it anyway.
2: Okay. <laughs>
1: because you kind of think about that as, as, as a, a somewhat male dominated industry to a large degree. Can you talk a little bit about kind of how it was when you first started versus sort of how it is now and advice you would have for other women who might be in some kind of an industry that might be thought of as being male dominated
2: sure sure and and I have to say that that when I started this I never looked at it like, wow, this is male dominated. I don't know if I should do this or not. Uh, I never looked at it that way. And I, and I still don't look at it that way. Sometimes I'll be in very large meetings and people will say, "We well, you were the only female in there. How was that? And, and I have to honestly say most of the time I didn't notice. Um, and that's kind of how I took it from the very beginning. Um, but I also believe very strongly that women have a distinct leadership style that's different. And that's a little bit of stereotyping, but, uh, but I'll speak to it for myself. Um, specifically, I tend to use more of a, I'll call it a transformational leadership style, um, where it, Oh, you know, I aim to, um, create motivation for people, help with job morale, um, Help them do better at their job performance. Um, work with those teams, you know. Identify how we want to change if something we're doing isn't right. Um, we need to create a shared vision between all of us to guide through maybe some inspiration. Um, and and I also look at myself as having to be a role model in that role, whether it's male or female in there. Um, I also think it's really important for us to get to know staff. Um, I assign them tasks that fit their strengths. Um, I I think it makes for a better outcome for them and for me. And I'm very big on succession planning and setting everything up so that it can be even better than it was when I came. Um, I personally spend a lot of time coaching my teams um, and I really do believe that caring about their personal development is key, and not just acting like you do, but personally caring. So, so maybe strength and sensitivity both kind of comes into that. Um, you know, if you look at all the research, which I'm sure you've done, Billy, um, young boys were called leaders when they spoke up, um, and girls were called bossy when they spoke the same. And and I think really, I think what we all need to do. Is continue making an effort effort to, to assure that those ambitious girls are labeled as leaders. And I think that is where the change has came from 20 years ago till now. I think it's very accepted and very open now. Um, and, and I think always too, whether it's females or males, we shouldn't forget about a more most important task of all. And that is Maybe to over communicate when leading teams they feel like you're transparent they feel like they're a part of it so I guess strength and sensitivity is is probably my philosophy on, on yeah. leadership
1: yeah I, I raised a female leader um, and yeah. super proud of her but I need I need a little advice okay so <laughs> so you know you ever work with anyone who, you know was kind of a millennial type kind of think they know everything you know that kind of thing so mm-hmm. uh kind of helped me walk through how to do that maybe steven could overhear a little bit <laughs> and maybe soak in just a little when we talked a little bit about gender now let's talk about age okay right because that right. Stephen brings that up all the time he's always talking about age
2: I'm sure he's going to talk about that with me also, but we're going to ignore him for now. How does that sound? Exactly. one: <laughs>
1: ignore him. I like it. I like it.
2: So, so yeah, I, I mean, there is no doubt, and I've got two daughters that, that fit in that category also, and it's different, right? Um, when when we were young, at least I was taught to to save, to get at a job, to work hard, Um what you work for will come to you, and that's how I was personally raised. Um, I do a lot of reading and listen to a lot of webinars because I think we all are struggling with finding good staff, with keeping good staff, and and finding a way to get the younger generations to to help us. So what what I've done in a lot of cases is. I'm a mentor for a lot of people, both within our firm and, with, and outside of our firm. But what I do is I've taken up probably five or six of them, and I've had them be my mentors. So, so when they're um, doing social media, when they're looking at different situations, um, whether it's job related or, or personal, um, I ask them to be my mentor. So I want to know why they would think that um, the grass is greener on the other side and to help me figure out why why it is or is not. um, I have them help me with my social media accounts because I'll tell you, my two daughters know exactly when and how to put things on social media that stays positive, that keeps you relevant, right? That keeps it out there and keeps it going. Um, So I've actually really enjoyed getting some personal mentors that are of that Gen X group uh, that that helped me. It is still a little bit difficult sometimes um, because we are a over a hundred year old company. And and I think when you have good, solid foundation, you have to remember that what got us to where we are today is that good, solid foundation. But in order to remain relevant and with the times, we have to flex and we have to change. And I'm using those younger people to help me change. And in turn, I think it works for both of us.
1: Well, that's incredibly wise. I was hoping for something a little bit more harsh, but I'll... I'll...
0: (laughs) I th- I thought it was fantastic, <laughs> Doc. I am happy to be your mentor anytime <laughs> you'd like. Just let me know. We'll set it up. I'll put it on my calendar. We can do it
1: just once a week. Really, you really want to be healthy? You just really want.
2: So I will check in that one and see how it's going.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I do have
0: a question. There's a statement about leadership that, um, and it's in in a book. I don't remember who wrote it. I think Doc actually referred me to the book, but it says it talks about you either lead people up. Or you lead people out. What is your thoughts on that statement?
2: Well, um, I will tell you that, that part of that is what I was talking about earlier about listening at any time. I have field services staff that will call me at 10 o'clock at night or 4 a.m. in the morning. And it's because I'm here for succession and I'm here to lead them up. If you don't listen, if you don't have a personal relationship with these people, they will go. Um, I believe over 50% of the people that leave their current jobs is because their supervisor, either they don't have a relationship with them, they don't like them, they don't like the way they manage. So, so I really believe that that in this world of, and now, you know, really hard to find people to work and to help and to volunteer, um, we have to lead them up. It's what makes the future and it's what is gonna set all of us up, whether it's a volunteer organization or a company we run to be successful in the future.
1: So let me, so we've talked a little bit about what what you do with horses. We talked a little bit about your career and your philosophy. Is there any part of that that you can mash together? So what what happens with horses and how does that help you in your uh, in your uh, career and some of the choices you make career wise?
2: Right. Well, I think it probably puts things, things in perspective a lot. Um, you know, I've I've done both pretty much since I turned 18 or since I graduated college. So. So I think the leadership that I that I do in my day to day work is not a lot different than when I have a green ranch horse out there that that gets a little excited in certain situations. And and you have to stay calm and you have to look at at it as a teaching situation in that you're going to take your time. You never get upset. You always sit down, figure out a way to, to move forward through the situation, even if it happens to be wanting to uh, try and unseat you at the time. So, so, um, you know, first of all, hanging on is key. I can do that. And, and second of all, I think patience is really key. I'm not known for having patience when there's something I want to personally do, because I don't want it to take six months to get done. I like to move forward and at least get it started and in progress. Um, And I think the same thing is with horses. Anytime when you rush anything, whether it be at work or with horses, um, the immediate outcome might look better, but the long term is not going to be as successful as if you hit every single building block to get to the top.
0: Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree more. I do have a question about, um, pro, you know, facing problems. Uh, I'm actually going to steal it from Doc here, but because of the company that you work for, y'all do so much outside of just the U.S. So, you, you know, it's it's worldwide that your company is. <clears throat> How does that change your thought process when, when coming to a problem uh, or a challenge um, when you're trying to figure out a solution?
2: Yeah, yeah. So so I would say that, you know, I, I believe that having that worldwide experience or impact um, probably puts things in perspective more than anything. I mean, I'm looking at things like um, food security and, and how is the world going to feed nine billion people by 2050, um, 2050, um, the, the push for economic growth. I think has led to substantial increases in wealth of large numbers of people. But if we can do that, why do we have inequalities with social, political, and economic systems? Um, It should be reducing them, not growing them. You know, um, hiring, you look at hiring in North America will take because 48% of the employers right now are reporting difficulty in filling jobs, while other countries have hundreds of millions of people that are unemployed. Um, you know, look at things like the Earth land temperatures that have warmed, I believe, about one degree in the last 50 years, and global greenhouse gas has emissions that have grown by 80%. And we haven't even touched on the whole cybersecurity issue that is, as we've seen in certain pipelines recently and other situations facing all of us. So, so when I get a problem or a challenge uh, that faces me either at work here or with, with the paint horse association or with my horses, it makes it really easy in perspective to sit down, to talk about it, to come to a conclusion and move forward. Um, it's all about putting things in perspective and These things we deal with are pretty small in the big picture. If you look at some of these other things,
1: how much time do you spend on cybersecurity? I mean, I just read about the JBS situation and the pipeline you mentioned. Uh, How how much of a headache is that for you and your job?
2: Um, It's a big deal. We we have actually on on staff full time cybersecurity specialists that make sure that we are at the top of our game. The last thing we want is to be shut down for a period of time and not be able to access records or anything else. So so it is a big deal. We spend a lot of time talking about it and we have full-time staff that do nothing but that, you know, 40 hours a week.
0: Yeah. On being you, we're talking worldwide for you, just kind of a fun, I know y'all, y'all consult on a lot of projects. If you had to pick one in for a two part question first, which country is your favorite to visit when you have to go work on a, a project? And is there one project in particular uh, that comes to mind that was like your favorite project that y'all worked on?
2: Yeah. Gosh, favorites. Um, I, I have several. So I will say I really like the UK. Um, It's very interesting. um, And they do things a little different there. And it's fun. Um, I have a big connection to Canada. My husband's Canadian. um, So we're up there quite a bit. And um, gosh, then if I go to a favorite project, I think it might, gosh, there's there's several. Um, One, I would say was, was the service that we did for central federal lands, which is the Hoover Dam bridge, which is in Arizona. and um, we we did the design on that project. I will also say that that probably tied right up close to that is a project that we're doing for the port of Charleston in South Carolina right now. And we literally created um, and, and we're doing the construction side of it, an entire new, inland port berth that will have three different berths where large ships from all over the world will come in and unload and 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 the trick about this entire project was it's built over water. It was not land three years ago. So you know we still have several years to go on that one but but mm-hmm. it's that's that's one of my favorites.
1: All right. Well you mentioned your husband so So he's a PRCA judge or was, right? Correct?
2: Yep. Yep. He's retired now, but he was, he judged for the PRCA. He was the director for the Grand Canyon Pro Rodeo Association and also for the junior and senior high school rodeo uh, teams here in Arizona.
1: So do y'all ever get into discussions or debate about, you know, a lot of the rodeo guys have a completely different view of the horse show world. How does that how does that work for domestic tranquility?
2: Yeah, well, you know, not far after I met him, I decided to put my big old English saddle on my 17-2 hand red charisma gilding and threw him up on top of it and said, ride it, see how it goes. First of all, he was worried about the neighbors seeing him in an English saddle. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: Did you get
2: him? (laughs) Right.
1: Because that would be awesome.
2: Yeah. After that, um, he felt very insecure in that saddle. And we went through a a little bit of working together on how to ride in one of those and why really it is beneficial. And, uh, you know, he's probably not going to be happy when he hears that I told you this. But um, at the time, he was bulldogging. So steer wrestling. And um, he ended up with a paint mare that that he bulldogged off of. He ended up exercising her and keeping her in shape in an English saddle because he could feel everything she was going to do. He could move his legs. And oh, by the way, you know, it's a third of the weight of that big old bulldog and saddle you throw on it. And when it's 115 here in Arizona, it's kind of nice to have a saddle like that on your horse. So. He probably wouldn't admit it to this day, but he actually is pretty much liking those English saddles for several different reasons.
1: You know, at that point though, I think, I think he's right on target. Is that, is that people who grow up riding English, I think have a little bit better seat and they feel the horse a little bit have better contact. I think I did it the same way. First time I ever got an English saddle was, long after I'd gotten in a a cowboy saddle, a Western saddle and Uh it's a different universe, but you definitely have got to have better control. I I can see why that doesn't mean the next time I see him, I'm not going to make fun of him, but that's, that's still, you know,
2: I think you need to do that actually. And it wouldn't hurt if Steven kicked in on that a little bit also. So yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm in, I, you know, I've never rode an English saddle and I, it'd be very difficult to get me in one. Uh, but I, I, can resonate with the insecurity of riding a saddle. That's not normal for you or the, your discipline, because my wife is a barrel racer. I'm a roper. Um, and there's times where we go to the barrel race and she's running behind and says, Hey, can you warm up? Uh, my horse for me and there's a few times that I did not take a saddle of my own and had to ride around in a barrel saddle and it it was not fun the saddle was fine but my insecurities were flying all over the place <laughs>
2: <laughs> well yeah and and actually you know it, it's nice uh, with us and and he ropes now and and I barrel raced although I'm not doing it anymore and and he, he really understands what the barrel racers go through when we go to these barrel races because, um, you know, people think they don't know how to ride and they just get out there and kick and whip. And that's not the case at all. But you think about doing a, a 360, you know, around a, a two foot barrel and, you know, trusting your horse enough to lean to the outside and put that weight in the outside. That's not an easy thing to do. and. And I've put him on my barrel horse a few times and, and he's done one barrel. And he said that was enough.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I, I can resonate with that as well. I've had my, my wife had a horse. that was really hard to get by the barrels and uh, she would lean on her really bad. You know, I'm just like, just ride the horse, ride it. You know, what's the deal? Like quit sitting early and ride that sucker, you know, and giving her a hard time. And she finally said, you get on him, you do it. And I got my first barrel to the shin when I did that. And after that, I said, I am done with this. No, thank <laughs> yeah. you. This sucks.
2: Yeah, I think you could tell a true barrel racer if you just look at their shins and see the dents all the way down them. But, you know, I learned early and had a pair of carbon fiber shin guards made for me that I put on under my jeans. And I feel <laughs> I feel pretty invincible with those things on. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. So, some armor yeah, on. Appreciate. Here we go. Right. That's- that's your next purchase right there. Yeah. There you I'm, go. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm buying the bottom half of a night suit. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk exactly. about, let's talk about the foundation a little bit, uh, being your chair there. Um, what, sh- what are you most excited about for APHA foundation and, and looking into the future?
2: Sure. Um, well, first of all, I, I, you know, I was lucky enough to be selected to even sit on on the foundation, Billy, it's been a little bit over three years ago, I guess now. Uh, The overall goals I would say are very exciting of the foundation. You know, we continue to promote the heritage of the paint horse. Um, They have donation options of several kinds to promote, um, to help with the youth, to help with youth scholarships, including ways for them even to earn scholarships at the World Show. Um, they have a therapeutic writing program and provide writer instruction certification um, and scholarship information for that. I should say um, to me, the all in company encompassing side of what the foundation does is probably the most exciting. It's um, it, it, it probably is one of the most philanthropic things that APHA could do. We also have a similar foundation where where I work that is very important. Um, and by the way, we need to remind everyone, the foundation does have an auction coming up on June 30th at 7pm at the World Show. Everything is on 32auctions.com as we get it. So, Um, You can bid online if you're not there in person. And I think that is very important. I think it it develops a history and it develops, you know, the heritage that we look back at the paint horse at right now, we are developing right now. So, you know, a hundred years from now, I want them to look back and say, wow, you know, they did this foundation. Look what it's done for the youth. Look how it's Um, helped youth get to school. Look how it's provided some, you know, certification programs. Um, I think that's probably the all-encompassing foundation is probably the most excited. I or the most exciting thing to me about the foundation. So it's not just one piece of it.
0: So do you, do you ever sleep or is it just a non non non-starter? You just don't even worry about it.
2: Well, if you ask my husband, he'd probably say no. Um, but I actually do sleep. I just only need four or five hours a night. Um, if I go to bed too early at night, I'll be up at two or three in the morning. So, you know, you better be staying up till midnight and making yourself useful. Otherwise, otherwise, uh, you'll be up at two in the morning and ready to go for the day.
0: <laughs> right. Right. I, I, get curious about that. Cause we were talking earlier off, off the offline a little bit about, you know, for your job, you travel five to six days a week, literally five days for six, six days a week. Um, yeah. Plus you're involved with showing your horses. Uh, plus you're involved with all of these uh, foundations and boards that you sit on and things like that. So mm-hmm what's your philosophy on time management, I guess? How do you, how do you, do you have a ritual you get up, you know, every morning at 3am and do X, Y, and Z, or do you have something you could share as advice for people that say, well, I just don't have time for that.
2: Yeah. Um, I try and make time for everything. First of all, there are some things I have to say no to. Um, I, I, I don't like to, but there are some things I have to say no to. Um, I found with work, it's very, very key to have trusted people that you can delegate to and trust them to get that done. Um, it's, I I also have some great trainers that, that I use on and off right now. My in-hand trail horse is with limelight show horses out of Colorado and, and I wouldn't be able to, Gemma Hudson and I actually own that stallion together and I wouldn't be able to do it without them. Um, My halter horses are in Texas with Ray Barton. You know, I use Elise Roberts for my hunter horses. Um, And then I keep a halter horse here, my ranch horse here, my barrel horses here, our roping horses are here. So I have a lot of help. It's not like I do this in any way, shape or form by myself. And and it's really nice to show up at these shows sometimes, you know, sometimes a day, sometimes a week before you show and to be able to just sit down, relax, work with the horses um, and and figure out how you're going to do it. But but I would say as far as getting up in the morning and having a ritual, I have one. And that is to get up and get coffee. (laughs) And that is my ritual. I'm from there on, you know, just about anything can happen and we can deal with it. But, but, uh, but a, a good cup of coffee in the morning is my ritual.
1: Amen. Amen. Yes.
2: And yeah. sometimes later at night, but depending sometimes, on day.
0: sometimes all day. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, doc, you, you put a,
1: uh, you just put an IV in for coffee during the world show, don't you? Yeah, it's like uh, I don't even measure coffee by the cup anymore. I measure it by the pot. So,
2: (laughs) especially coming up to the World Show, I'm sure.
1: Yes, it's. uh,
0: Speaking
2: of not sleeping.
0: So I've got one more, one more thing I want to touch on, um, and get your input on last year, we did an event called the cowgirl gathering and we had, it It was our inaugural event down here in the Fort Worth stockyards. And, you know, we talked a little bit about women, women in leadership roles and, um, some of that. And so that was kind of our philosophy. Uh, if people don't know, APHA was founded by Rebecca Tyler Lockhart, which I'm not a hundred percent certain, but I'm pretty sure we're one of the only breed organizations ever founded by a female, which is pretty exciting. We're about 80% female as well in our membership, close to it, maybe 70% percent um, But that was kind of one of our things was we wanted to honor uh, the female or cowgirls in the industry. And so we came up with the cowgirl gathering. You actually attended this event last year. Uh, it had a speaking portion called the Essence Exchange. And I'm curious to know what your favorite parts or mem- if you have any certain memories out of that weekend when you came down uh, that you'd like to share.
2: Sure. Sure. And, and I will say that, um, that essence of the cowgirl and, and those panels that we had, um, there with, with the cowboy channel and, and working in that studio there were phenomenal. Um, Sherry Servey is, is one that attended a luncheon there. Why, why we were there. And she has always been, been a, a role model for me, especially on the barrel racing side. Um, as far as the entire cowgirl gathering, I don't know where to start other than I just felt at home. It, it's what I grew up doing. Um, it was a culmination of, of not only having female speakers, female leaders, um, female horse people, the headers, the healers, the breakaway, the, the barrel racing. Um, I think there was close to, Billy could speak to this better than I, 1,100 entries in the barrel racing.
0: There was. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome.
2: Yeah. You started at 8 a.m. one morning, and I think you ended somewhere around 8 a.m. the next morning, if I remember right. So it was awesome. Yeah. The coordination was awesome. Um, What's really important in a lot of situations like that is you can create anything you want, but the girls showed up and they entered. I mean, it was done in a historic facility. Um, it offered. It also, which I thought was really nice, offered paint horses opportunities. It had added money that they would not have received anywhere else. Um, I really look forward to supporting it and attending again this year, and to growing growing the number of paints that enter that. In fact, I have um, one paint horse that that I have that was very very green last year, and. I'd really love to see some paint horses out there. And maybe that's a challenge to get out there and have paint horses do all three events. Enter in the heading or the healing, the breakaway and the barrel racing. I mean, that's a trifecta there that we could create something pretty cool with a paint horse.
1: That would be awesome if somebody did that. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, And the plans for this year look like they're even better adding a few other events and things to it, um, including art shows and things like that. And, and I think it's just going to be, it's, it's something you don't want to miss. Right.
0: Yeah. You'll be happy to hear too. Um, so we're, we're going through our speakers now and and getting them all tied down for this year. Uh, by the way, the dates for that this year is November 12th, 13th and 14th, uh, same weekend, just shifts a little bit. Um, but Sherry Servey is going to be one of our speakers this year. She'll actually be on one of the panels. So excited to have her
2: Perfect. She is the best in the business.
0: She is. She is just, just leading Weatherford Rodeo too this weekend here in Texas. So she's she's got it going on.
2: Yep. She's uh, riding a brand new stallion. That is an embryo transfer from stingray. Yep. And I actually have a half sister to stingray here at my house.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And that, that is the high point barrel horses. Uh, What are their names again? Um, Jason and Charlie. Is that right?
2: Jason and Charlie. Yep. Yep. And Christy Christensen runs a reading program there at High Point Performance Horses. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that that's all I really have for questions. Miss Lori, Uh, Billy, do you have any other any other questions you'd like to ask before we kick off? I have
1: any other questions. Just thank you for your leadership at uh, APHA and with the foundation. Uh, One of the things about Lori is I've never asked her to help or to do anything and, and been turned down. So she's always a gamer, always uh, always willing to help. And, uh, and I don't care what you say, the guy I talked to with HDR, he was right. You are a big deal.
2: Yeah. Thank you.
0: Yes. Thank you, Miss Laurie. I really appreciate your time. Uh, I know it's valuable with all the things that you do. So we want to honor that. Um, but again, thank you for taking the time to visit with us and share your thoughts on leadership and time and, and just paint horse industry stuff.
2: Great. Thanks for your time. Awesome, and we'll Thanks. get you in that. We'll get you in that English saddle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, not if Dr. Smith's around, there's no way
2: that's yeah. happening
1: ever. Other way, if we're going to do that, it has to include a pair of breeches. So, there you go. So that's be the whole deal. You can't get on a pair of jeans.